just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino and Steve Edelson recapping the week in New Jersey college basketball. A little bit of a tough week for our five teams that we've kind of circled as tournament contenders. Rutgers loses two to Indiana and Illinois. Seton Hall drops two as well to Creighton and Villanova. Princeton loses to Dartmouth. Ryder, they have a win over Fairfield, and FDU splits their games this week, beating LIU and losing to Central Connecticut. So these five teams combined two and six the past week. And, oh, the cherry on top, my Eagles lost the Super Bowl last night. So, Jerry, happy Monday. (laughs) Okay. I got my Kansas City Chiefs red on. All right. And I want to say in the bigger picture as it relates to us, welcome aboard to all those folks who now will turn their attention to the greatest sport there is, now that the NFL is over, okay, we all listen, we all like pro football. It's over. Good riddance. Now we turn the page and head toward the greatest sporting spectacle in America, the NCAA tournament. So we welcome you, the bandwagoners, the the one the, the one or two monthers who are jumping aboard college basketball. And you're coming on at a good time because there's a lot to talk about, although it was a tough week for the locals, but I want to emphasize, unlike football, every game is not the entire world in college basketball, right? You can have a rough week and bounce back, and there's opportunities to bounce back, and that's what make this makes this sport fun, and that's if you're Rutgers or Seton Hall or some of our mid-majors who lost this past week in New Jersey, there's opportunities to reverse that trend and do it quickly. Yeah, and I, I, I had a, a brother-in-law in for the game, an Eagles fan, and he said to me before he left this morning, he's like, I, I haven't even, I know nothing of college basketball, right? It's been all Eagles. So a- any Philadelphia sports fan is now just really jumping on the college basketball bandwagon right now. And, uh, and again, I, I think it's, it was a bad week last week, but there's some good weeks coming up, and it's going to be exciting. Let's yeah, start absolutely. with let's start with Rutgers because. Uh, this is, you know, this was the toughest week on Rutgers' schedule, right, guys? We talked about this last week, the the losses at Indiana and Illinois and coming on the heels of the news that starting forward Mawat Mag is out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Mag was either Rutgers' best or second-best defender, which is high praise on the number two-ranked defense in the country. He's also the team's second-best rebounder and – have been improving quite a bit on the offensive end. It's a big loss, not just on the court, but in the locker room. Super popular guy on a team that is very tight. The word connected gets thrown a lot, thrown around a lot about Rutgers basketball. And when you lose a player on a team that connected in the locker room and on the court, it's a hit. It's an emotional hit. 
It's an executional hit. And so is it catastrophic? Not necessarily, but it takes time to overcome. I have parallels, okay? When Seton Hall lost Sandro Mamouklashvili in 2020 uh, to a broken arm for two months, the better part of two months, they really struggled for a couple weeks. And then they figured it out, and eventually he did come back, but they figured it out without him and went on a winning streak. It took time. Last season, again, we'll go to Seton Hall. They lost Bryce Aiken. Uh, their point guard to a concussion in January. The first couple weeks were a mess, a mess. And then they kind of got things together and stabilized things. Were they the same team they once were? No, but they stabilized things enough to make the NCAA tournament. So Steve Peichel said it's going to take a couple weeks for us to figure it out without Mawat Mag. It wasn't coach speak. That's true. Now, Rutgers is not, doesn't have a ton of time left, but they do have some breaks in the schedule. It does soften up some. So while I think, it really hurts losing Mawat Mag, and he that contributed to the week they had, and they won't be quite the same team. It doesn't mean that their goals or aspirations are totally finished. Boy, and thankfully this didn't happen last year, you know, a big injury when, you know, they were really trying to come back from the early season hole they dug for themselves. Now at least they have a little bit of cushion and can try and figure it out and, and are still in reasonable shape for the NCAA tournament. Right. So let's recalibrate where Rutgers is at. The 16-9 and nine overall, 8-6 and six in the Big Ten. Uh, there's a big log jam in the middle of the league for like that, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. This, they're all right there, these teams. I don't know if the league finish matters a ton. You know, what matters is you're playing for seed on Selection Sunday. And the, the big goal for Rutgers, the unstated goal, but what they were moving toward was a protected seed, right? A top four seed in the big dance. That gets you a spot in Albany, uh, a regionalized spot that, you know, would have a ton of Rutgers fans there. That's going to be tough to attain now, not just because Rutgers lost two games in one week, but because out of the remaining games that they have down the stretch here, they only have one quad one opportunity at this moment, and that's a game at Penn State, which is sinking fast. That might not be a quad one for long. So you're talking about a lot of quad two and lower games for Rutgers, which you know is fine. Quad two is good, but it might not help you move the needle. So I don't know that a top four seed, protected seed, is attainable, uh, but certainly a consensus six seed right now in the bracketology, Rutgers can still go into the NCAA tournament with a decent seed, and that starts this week. Yeah, and an opportunity for kind of a get-right game against Nebraska home on Tuesday. Nebraska towards the bottom of the Big Ten. They're 5-10 and 10 in conference. And like you said, Jerry, it takes some time to adjust when you're trying to, to replace a player you've lost from injury. It, it takes some time to kind of find that new rhythm that you might need for a team to remesh together, you know, filling that void that you lose when a, when a player goes down like that. So an opportunity there Saturday and then a tough one on the road at Wisconsin, Wisconsin, uh, they're a part of that log jam you mentioned, Jerry. Six and eight in conference, fourteen and ten overall uh, on their home court, kind of fighting for their tournament lives at this moment. A, a desperate Wisconsin team, so that's certainly a tough matchup when you look ahead for Rutgers to go on the road against those Badgers. Yeah, let's take these one at a time. Uh, Nebraska first, have to beat Nebraska at home. I've been telling Rutgers fans, don't panic, don't panic. Rutgers loses to Nebraska at home, you can panic, okay? You can push the big red button, but let's get, let's see what happens. I, I suspect Rutgers will get it together and lay the wood on Nebraska on Tuesday. Uh, the What I want to see, what I'll be looking for, will Steve Peichel make some tweaks to his rotation now? Is he going to change the way he subs? Uh, maybe not necessarily his starters, uh, I think Andre Hyatt's going to probably continue to start in Mawat Mag's place, and that's fine. Hyatt's a versatile player. He's a seasoned player. Uh, he can play pretty well on both ends. 
But the question is, what are we going to see subwise? Are we going to see a bigger role for Derek Simpson? The freshman guard from Lenape has shown some really good flashes this season. Now, he's very green. He does take some, some bad shots at times. He plays good defense, though. He's really valuable when you're pressing the ball, which we may see Rutgers do some more of. Uh, I, I like Simpson a lot. He can also break a team down off the dribble, which not a lot of Rutgers players can. I like seeing him a lot. It was interesting. Again, in the Illinois game, he got 22 minutes. He ate He ate into Cam Spencer's minutes against Illinois. Now, will that continue to be the case? Was that matchup specific? You know, was Spencer just having a rough game? It's something to watch for as, as Peichel. You know, he's not a guy to do a lot of experimenting. He doesn't put that white lab coat on much, go into the lab and throw stuff in a Bunsen burner and turn it up high. But I do foresee him doing some level of experimentation to see if Derek Simpson can jump charge, jumpstart this team off the bench this week. Yeah, and I agree with Jerry. I think Simpson is like that X factor on this team down the stretch. You know, if you can get more and more out of that kid, and he has shown some potential, you know, he's young. Uh, you know, what a what an impact he could have for this team in some big games if they can really get him ingratiated into that rotation now. And you mentioned Wisconsin, Ryan. You're right. Wisconsin's desperate. And this is the thing. When you're playing a desperate team at home, it's a dangerous game. Like on paper, Rutgers should be better than Wisconsin out there. They did win there last year. But you're talking about a desperate team who is right on the bubble for the NCAA tournament at home, a good home court advantage traditionally. Uh, so, And I think a big part of this is going to be Cliff, too. Cliff Cliff Amori has to stay out of foul trouble. He's done a good job of that for the most part. He's gotten better at that over the years. But in order for him to have the impact one would expect from a guy who has earned his way onto the Kareem Abdul Award, uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar Award watch list as one of the 10 best centers in the country, Cliff has to stay on the court. He picked up silly fouls at Illinois. He's got to be on the court this week, especially uh, at Wisconsin. So those are your keys for Rutgers to sort of start getting right this week. I think, again, you circle back to Rutgers just needing to win games on the road again. You know, two and six on the road. You know, we, we always seem to come back to this point, and, and it's going to be a lot tougher without Mag out there. So, uh, again, I, I, that's why I'm looking at that Wisconsin game. You know, how are they going to play on the road, you know, with this group now? Right. Can that's the that's- game. That's the question, right? We Everyone should rightly expect them to beat Nebraska at home. What will we see from Rutgers at Wisconsin? That'll give us a good idea where the Scarlet Knights are headed. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's almost like the, the schedule this week for Rutgers. It's in the right order. You have Nebraska on your home floor Tuesday to kind of figure things out before you hit the road Saturday against Wisconsin. And the schedule for Rutgers, uh, I kind of see some parallels with the schedule for Seton Hall this week as well. Seton Hall's coming off two losses at home to Creighton and then at Villanova. They have Georgetown Tuesday and then they're at UConn Saturday. So similar to Rutgers, you have a team in Georgetown who is at the bottom of the conference. And then you go on the road for a tough road test against UConn, who has been one of the better teams. They've had their ups and downs, of course, but UConn is 8-7 and seven in conference, 19-7 and seven overall. So then you have a tough road test now for the Pirates coming off two losses this past week. It's a good, it's a good point about the similar week, and Seton Hall get, has a get-right opportunity against Georgetown Tuesday. But just want to say about Seton Hall, where they're different from Rutgers, of course, is they have very little margin for error at this point. Rutgers have built up some cushion. Seton Hall's consensus first four out right now. You don't want to be there. You do not want to be there when championship week starts because that's where when you have the upsets and the bid stealers, you're going to be you're going to be SOL, out of luck. You do not want to be there. Seton Hall has to get the last four in at least by the time championship week starts. Now, what's different between them and Rutgers is they have a lot of chances to really improve their resume. Seton Hall has three quad one games left, including two big road games left. 
So they have some opportunity to really move up here if they can string together some wins. Uh, so but reviewing the past week for the Pirates, they lost two games. The game at Creighton at home, I thought Seton Hall played pretty well against Creighton. Creighton's really good, man. Throw that record out. They lost five games without Ryan Kalkbrenner, who is probably one of the best players in the country. Okay, The guy is so good defensively. He's super efficient offensively. I think Creighton is a top-10 team. I had them 10th in my AP, top 25 ballot this week. They're the best team in the Big East right now. They're a legit Final Four contender. Seton Hall had them on the ropes for 32 minutes, but couldn't finish the job. I thought they played pretty well. Seton Hall did not play well at Villanova Saturday, okay? Villanova is not very good. They did not play well in this game. Justin Moore, who has come back from an Achilles, was a non-factor for Villanova. The crowd was totally out of it. It was dead. There were a lot of people. What were they thinking about? The Eagles? That didn't work out so well, okay? And by the way, my wife and kids were there and getting yelled at all game. They're, they're sitting in the Seton Hall section, getting yelled at by Villanova fans, not just my kids, but like the Seton Hall fans in general, uh, taunting Seton Hall, taunting them their socioeconomic status. I mean, only Villanova people, Steve, <laughs> only Villanova people with socioeconomic taunts. Are you kidding me? Well, you know what? They got their comeuppance on Sunday in the Super Bowl, okay? So and, go ahead. And right there. Philly. What do you want? It's Philly, you know? <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. Now, moving on to the – Seton Hall did not play well. They played well. They played hard. They rebounded well. They defended their rear ends off, but not smart offensively, sloppy, 18 turnovers, you know, just poor ball movement and, and shooting. So Seton Hall has to, has to figure it out. They have a get-right game against Georgetown. It's a weird 6 o'clock start on CBS Sports Network. There's going to be nobody there when the game starts, Okay. So they're going to have to bring their own energy. They're not going to have a traditional home crowd. But you know what? No one wants to hear it against Georgetown. You get right against Georgetown. I realize Seton Hall has been missing a key guy. Dre Davis is not hes not as essential to the Pirates as Mawat Mag is to Rutgers, okay? He's a six-man, but he's a good two-way player. He's a guy who can score on a team that really needs scoring. He can score inside and out. He's been out with a sprained ankle. He's missed four games, and they miss him. You know, they miss him. He's an option they don't have. Uh, they might have his nine points a game might have beat Villanova. Okay, so I think they'll get him back this week. If not for Georgetown, there's a decent chance he'll be back at the end of the week for the trip to stores. They do need those reinforcements. So Seton Hall, get right, and then you take a swing at stores in what is the toughest game left on the schedule. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Shaheen Holloway handles these next few weeks, you know, with some really big games on the road, you know, how he gets this team going. Can he get this team going? Um, You know, in his first season back at Seton Hall, it's really a very, very interesting test coming up over the next few weeks for for him in his first uh, first year here. I asked Shaw two questions point blank after the Villanova game. I said, one, what buttons do you have to push now down the stretch? Team looks a little tired. You know, they're banged up. Kadari Richmond, his, his ankle's been bothering him. Uh, Femi Odakali, another guard, his knee's been bothering him. We mentioned Dre Davis. They're banged up. I said, what buttons do you have to push? He said, good question. I have to figure that out. And then I asked him, do you still believe in it that this team can get it done? And like oh, every other coach in America would say, of course, blah, blah, blah. You don't know how Shaw's going to answer that, man. He might say no. He might say, I don't know. But he seemed pretty confident. He seemed pretty confident. I'll get in the lab and I'll figure it out. I think he still believes his team is tough enough 
and has the pieces to get it done. I, they don't have to win both games this week. They obviously have to beat Georgetown. No one expects them to to complete the sweep at UConn, which is playing much better now than they were when they came to Newark a few weeks back. No one expects them to do that. Seton Hall's job is to survive this week, survive and get healthy. It's not survive in advance yet. It's survive and get healthy, get one and one, and then you have the three games left that will decide your fate, okay? You have uh, you have a, a Xavier, a bye week or close to a bye week, most of a week off, and then Xavier at home. Xavier is missing Zach Fremantle, the center from Teaneck, who's really good. He's out, probably still be out for that game, okay? And then that's going to be a packed house. There'll, there'll be a lower bowl sellout. Then you have Villanova at home, a game they should win. They should beat Villanova at home. They can beat Xavier at home. They almost beat him out there. There'll be a huge crowd for the Villanova game. you got to bag those two home wins. Have to. And then it might come down to at Providence on Saturday, March 4th. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that game. But the point is there are opportunities left. If Seton Hall can dig deep, get healthy, and get a little more scoring, they're not going to score 90 points a game, but they need to get some open looks for Alamir Dawes, who was face-guarded by Villanova, okay, because the guy's been really good lately. They need to get a few more shots from Jameer Harris, who, who is capable of it. You know, he hit a couple of threes against Nova, and they need a little more from Kadari Richmond on the scoring side of things. Can he get to the 10 and finish with a little more frequency? They don't need to score a ton, but if they score a little more and keep playing their butt off, you, you think they'll have a shot and it'll come down to that last game. And the final push begins Tuesday against Georgetown, as we said, then at UConn. And then, of course, we'll be back next week to recap those games and take a look ahead as Seton Hall tries to get off that bubble and improve their resume and secure their spot in the tournament. Right. One more thing. One more Seton Hall thought. I'm interrupting. That's what I do on the show. I interrupt everybody. Uh, The the usage of Tyree Samuel, who is playing really well, it's a very difficult proposition for Shaheen Holloway because he really only has one true big man. and if he gets in foul trouble or if, if he tires, the hall's in trouble. So can you get 32, 33, 34 minutes out of him? And, you know, Villanova really took advantage when he was off the court uh, because he's a unique player for the Pirates roster. So these are difficult. I feel like Shaheen and Steve, we've talked about this. He's pushed the right buttons when it comes to personnel and subbing and changing defenses for the most part this season. It's a, it's really on Holloway to figure out how to squeeze every drop out of Samuel down the stretch. Just wanted to add that thought. All right, right back to you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that, Jerry. And now it's uh, let's take a look, too, at our mid-majors in New Jersey. Uh, as I said, Princeton, they lose at Dartmouth. They're still tied for first with Yale. We'll mention that Yale team coming up in a minute. Ryder, they win their only game this week. They're tied for first in the MAC. They've won eight in a row. FDU splits. They uh, win against Long Island U. They lose to Central Connecticut. Uh, the week ahead for Ryder, they have Canisius Friday, Quinnipiac Sunday, FDU's at Sacred Heart Thursday, at Wagner Saturday. But Princeton, they have Brown Friday and Yale Saturday. The two teams right next to them in the standings. Yale, they're 7-3 and three in conference, just like Princeton is. Brown, they're 6-4 and four right behind those two teams. So a huge week coming up for the Tigers. Yeah, it certainly is. And and a lot going on in, in mid-majors. I mean, Riders won eight straight. They're the hottest team in New Jersey right now. They're tied with Iona for the MAC lead, playing very well. Um, you mentioned Princeton. Jerry's going to talk about that in a second. They got some huge games coming up, as you said. Monmouth 
you know, no one expected. They had been hot. They won four straight. No one expected them to beat Hofstra, uh, and they didn't. You know, Aaron Estrada it, it really looks like probably the best player in the area and potentially a future NBA player. He's that good. Um, Originally recruited by Shaheen Holloway to St. Peter's, if you remember, yeah, so, three yeah, schools so, ago. Yeah, Mac, Mac Rookie of the Year. Yes, sir. That year. So, you know, I mean, he is so good. Um, but anyway – a uh, lot going on, and and I know Jerry, you were talking about uh, maybe seeing Princeton later this week. I may take a trip to Jadwin Gym, one of my favorite places to watch basketball. Uh, Saturday, six p.m. Princeton and Yale. Yale's won six straight, and a few weeks back, Yale shot fourteen of twenty-one from three-point range to beat the Tigers up in New Haven. I'm I'm a little concerned about Princeton's defense. They've allowed eighty plus points in four of the past five games. They're last in the Ivy League at defending the three-pointer. So, you know, Yale's red hot. Uh, the Tigers are 8-2 and two at home. I would ex- hope and expect they have a good crowd Saturday. The winner of this game probably wins the Ivy League regular season title. Now that they have a four-team tournament, that's not quite as meaningful, but it still matters. And uh, I think you can have a real good game on hand. So I may. We'll see. It's going to be a busy day Saturday. The Hoops Haven Express may roll into Jadwin. <laughs> And you get both these games on your home floor, too, for Princeton, which is a good thing, because as we said, that Friday game against Brown, everyone has, you know, the Yale game circled with Princeton. Brown's pretty good. They're six and four and 13 and 10 overall. So to have those two teams back to back, that's quite the test for the Tigers. So we'll have to keep an eye on how they're able to navigate that. Steve mentioned Monmouth as well. Uh, They split last week with a win at Stony Brook and lost to Hofstra coming up for Monmouth. They have North Carolina A&T tonight, Monday night. They're at Northeastern Thursday and then at Elon Saturday. So a busy week for them. St. Peter's, they beat Marist, lose to Manhattan. They have Iona on Saturday, NJIT, the loss at UMBC and a win against Maine. They have Binghamton on Wednesday and Vermont on Saturday. So that's our mid-majors. And as we said, a lot of them, despite some losses this past week, still looking pretty good. As we mentioned, Princeton tied for first in the Ivy League. Ryder tied for first in the MAC. FDU one game out in the Northeast. Uh, Ryder, Steve, let's go back to them for a second. Eight straight wins, like you said, one of the longest winning streaks in Division One right now, yeah. and they're tied with C- with Iona first in the MAC at eleven three. Sienna's a half game back. I want to mention senior guard Alan Powell for Riders really come on strong, giving them yet another score. And there's six games left for the Bronx, including Sienna and Iona at home. Steve, how would you describe Riders' home court to people who have never been there? Well, Bandvox doesn't even begin to describe it. You know, I mean, you, when you inbound a ball in the Bronx Zoo, you know, for on the side, you know, there is a student literally right over your shoulder and and you know what he had for dinner or what he's been drinking beforehand. <laughs> I mean, he is right there. So it's an intimidating place. It's not big, but everybody is right on top of you and it's very loud. It's a very tough environment. Let's talk after you real quick. Uh, a sophomore guard, Ansley Almanor, St. Joe's Montville grad, had 21-8 in the win over LIU. They did lose to Central Connecticut after that last week. In third place in the Northeast Conference at 8-4, and four, half game behind Merrimack and Stonehill. FDU has four games left, and they swept Merrimack and split with Stonehill. So they do have some tiebreakers here. And as, as we've discussed before, winning the Northeast Conference comes with special privileges because you get to be the host throughout the tournament as long as you can survive. So four games left, a lot to keep an eye on with the Northeast Conference too. You know, I know you ha- you had a couple shout-outs, Jerry, you wanted to get I in. I do. Keep going. I'm, gonna, I'm rolling. I'm rolling. St. <laughs> Peter's, they beat Marist 16 points in 18 minutes 
from postgrad guard and modern day prep graduate Kyle Kardashian. You remember Kyle, Steve? Absolutely. Really good player for on some really good teams. Yes, they're five and ten in the MAC. He's had a Kyle's had a really nice college career. It's good to see him excel at St. Peter's. NGIT beat Maine for their fourth America East win. Freshman guard Paul McMillan with eleven points, a highly touted player coming out of high school. So good for them. And now, my favorite part of the podcast: a shout out for the NJAC, the New Jersey Athletic Conference, as I've often called Jersey's hidden hoops gem. This is a Division Three league that features guys who were and, – and women too – who were all-stars in their high schools, okay? This is really good high-level basketball. It doesn't get a lot of attention. There's a lot of college hoops. You know, Division One talk here. High schools get covered by everybody. The NJAC kind of flies under the radar. I want to just mention Ryan Savoy uh, of Lakewood High School and uh, – Justin Battle, a Roselle Catholic grad, they hit two three-pointers in the last five seconds of a game against first-place Rowan as uh, as New Jersey City University shocked the world, and the world did see this. It was number one on ESPN Sports Center's top ten. Right, the beauty of the social media age, <laughs> what goes on in a Jersey City D three gym can be enjoyed by the entire country. So good for New Jersey City. The Gothic Knights having their moment in the sun and only in the end, Jack moment, six points in the final five seconds. They hit a three, stole the inbounds pass, hit another three, bang, bang, bang. And then like two days later, William Patterson, Neftali Valentin, Hackensack High School hits a 65-foot shot against Rutgers Camden to force overtime, a game that William Patterson would eventually win, banks it off the glass, Madness in the end, Jack, baby. Steve, you've been around a long time, and you know there's good college ball, college hoops on every level in the state. Well, it's a, it is amazing when you go through the NJAC rosters and you see all the kids from New Jersey that y- you remember from high school saying, "Wow, you know that kid was really good." I mean, that's the level of basketball you're getting there. People don't realize it, and, and there's good stories there too. There's good stories, so we'll keep an eye on the NJAC as it goes into. Tournament season, you know, their tournament in the NCAA Division Three tournament. But it's it's this is a fun time of year, folks. And now that your brain is off football, it might take Ryan a few more days, weeks, months, half a lifetime to forget about what happened to the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But the rest of us have swept that behind the door under the rug and moved on to hoop season. And we're glad to have all of our listeners aboard. March Madness, the cure for some Super Bowl blues. So certainly looking forward to to tournament season as the conference tournaments and, of course, the big dance right around the corner here. And we're not just a Division I podcast, a Division Three shout-out today. That's what you get when you subscribe and listen to Jersey Jump Shot. So thank you for listening to our episode today. Of course, be sure to read the reporting of Jerry, Steve, and Chris, NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. And tune in next week. We'll recap all of these games. We're getting closer and closer to March. Things are getting fun. Things are getting interesting. You don't want to miss any of it. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.